on today's show, the Atlanta Hawks are going to the playoffs after a very impressive, resilient, powerful, forceful, all those words, performance against the Miami Heat on the road on this Tuesday. The Hawks were comfortably in the lead for the large majority of this one. They faltered a little bit in the second half, but got it back quickly in pretty impressive fashion. We'll get into all of how it happened, what the takeaways are, and what's to come for Atlanta coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1450 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. You can skip your trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MBA60. Use the code MBA60 for 60% off, plus free shipping with HelloFresh. I also want to encourage you at the top of the podcast to make Locked On Hawks your first listen each and every day. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc. And today's show... We'll be diving into a very impressive performance from the Hawks on the road in Miami, 116 to 105 in the play-in. The first time ever that a seven seed has lost at home in the play-in. Admittedly, it's been a small sample size, but the Hawks were the first team to make that history as the eight seed winning on the road in this fashion with the victory. They have now clinched the seven seed in the Eastern Conference. They'll talk, take on the Boston Celtics beginning on Saturday in a best of seven series. So we'll have plenty of talk about that both later on in this podcast and then also later on in the week. But for the most part, we'll be focusing on this Really impressive win for the Hawks. They were by 24 points late in the first half. It got a little bit dicey from there, admittedly, in pretty typical Hawks fashion in some respects this year. But in not typical fashion, they actually did not let it get away from them. They actually were pretty resilient in this game, never lost the lead. A couple of really important moments when things could have swung the other direction where the Hawks made big plays defensively in particular. And uh, all that said, it was resilient, it was impressive, and the Hawks had one of their best performances of the entire season and a very, very good time to go ahead and do that on the road in a high-profile national TV spot with a lot of extra eyeballs on the team and uh, a lot of questions, not in, a, not in a malicious way, but a lot of people asking where this has been all year long. I had that same question. Honestly, this has been a, a pretty maddening season in, in all likelihood, and really if you watched every, every single game of the season as I have and a lot of Hawks fans have, it's been a little bit baffling why the Hawks have not done this more often but in this game, when the lights were really bright, the Hawks played very well, and we'll focus on that for the most part on this podcast. So we'll start now with my takeaways from the game. And honestly, I'll start with the defense, but it really was a two-way win for Atlanta. The Hawks have not been great defensively this year. That obviously goes without saying. You've watched the team a lot. And the second half of the season, when the Hawks' offense has kind of found its stride, the Hawks' defense has been in the bottom five of the league and really, really struggling. They played very, very well defensively in this game. I have to note in the transparency part of me trying to be a realist, I know I probably have some new listeners uh, this time of year, I will always give you the candid response and analysis, and I'm, and I'm not a fanboy. I'm going to give you all the, all the context. Miami is not a good offensive team. That is worth pointing out. I talked about that a lot with my pregame discussions with Wes Goldberg and Glenn Willis on the same podcast feed, crossovers, all that stuff. That is definitely worth keeping in mind that Miami is not good on offense. But at the same time, Hawks have had some bad nights defensively against some shaky offenses in the recent past. And in this game, that never happened. They kept Jimmy Butler in check. They, came by, they kept Bam Adebayo in check. And with the really the, the beyond the outlier performance from Kyle Lowry, who had 33 points off the bench, including six knocks from three, on a season when he's kind of been a non-factor on offense, if that didn't happen, the Hawks would have won this game even, even more comfortably. Obviously, it did happen. 
Tyler Hero got off a little bit in the second half as well, but the Hawks were really, really solid defensively for the majority of the evening. They held the Heat to a 109 offensive rating in the game overall. That included 43% from the floor, 33% from three, only forced eight turnovers in this game. They did an excellent job on the glass. We'll come back to that in a second. And they had some foul issues early on, being a little bit too aggressive against Butler and the like in the first half, but only allowed 23 throw attempts. That's a very good figure against this Miami team. That's uh, strong across the board. And they were better than usual on the perimeter. There were still some issues. Obviously, that's been, I've argued repeatedly, that's been the Hawks' biggest problem all year long has been point of attack defense. But they were better. They were more in tune in this game between Trey and DeJounte and Bogey, etc. And the big guys were all very good defensively in this game. Capella was awesome. Collins was very good. Akongo was very good. Jalen Johnson was very good. Sadiq Bay played very well defensively. DeAndre Hunter and his, despite some foul trouble in this one, played well defensively. And that's their six guys that cover basically every minute that they have at the four and the five this season, at least when they were fully healthy. And they played very well in this game. And that was not a coincidence because the Hawks showed up on defense and it really, really uh, led this. For me, that was probably the bigger influence on this victory, all things considered. On offense, it was far from perfect but it was impressive all the same. The biggest thing was the way the Hawks really outworked Miami, and that applies to the defense as well. I will raise my hand right now and admit this. I talked about the Hawks and sort of the variance that comes along with the one-game sample side. I thought the Hawks had a pretty decent chance to win this game. I wouldn't have picked them to win the game outright because, you know, they were five and a half underdogs for a reason. It was a road game, et cetera. But if I thought if I, I thought if the Hawks won this game, it probably was going to be. Not definitely, but probably was going to be because they had really an awesome offensive game. And usually with the Hawks, that means a lot of shooting and a lot of scoring and all that stuff. But really, the Hawks just outworked and outphysicaled and just outforced the heat in this game. The biggest thing that shows up there is the offensive rebounding. The Hawks had a season-high 22 offensive rebounds in this game. They secured 39% of their missed shots. That is an off-the-charts figure against anyone. And now I'll throw this in there. Miami came in to the night as the number four team in the entire NBA in defensive rebound rate. This is an awesome defensive rebounding team. They did go small, and that was at least a big part of why the Hawks had so much success. They are not the same team as they used to be. And I talked about it a little bit with Wes and Glenn, et cetera, but it's worth driving home that Miami without P.J. Tucker and uh, some of their other issues, they're not the same team, especially defensively, and especially they're just so small in some respects. But the Hawks really, really took advantage of that. They had 26-second chance points. That's a ton. The Hawks solidly won the possession battle despite having more turnovers than Miami because they just kept getting extra opportunities. Capella was the huge factor there, but it was really not just him. It was across the board. The Hawks ended up taking five more field goal attempts and seven more free throw attempts than Miami in this game. And as I always say on the podcast, if you take more shots than your opponent, you are in a good position. doesn't mean you always win, but it's a huge factor, and uh, that can sort of overcome some bad shooting. The Hawks did not shoot well. In this game, they had below average shooting efficiency overall. They were pretty good from two, to be honest, but 24% from three, 10 of 41. I did like, actually, the Hawks took a lot of threes in this game, and especially in the first half, the process was really good on those shots. 26 assists, um, not a ton, given that they had 17 in the first uh, like 16 minutes, something like that, but um, good, mar- good stuff on the margins as well. 17 fast break points, 64 points in the paint against the defense that's kind of built to stop those things. And seven guys scored in double figures. It was a balanced performance. You know, guys played well. Trey was pretty good for the most part in this game, but it wasn't just, it was like, it wasn't like just the Trey Young show. Same with DeJounte. The bench was awesome. They had really good balance in this one. And the only real black mark other than some hiccups, shot selection wise at times in the third quarter was the free throw line. 
where they were 16 of 27. If the Hawks had lost this game, I would have been banging the drum on that's kind of the, maybe the reason why they would have lost this one. Capella was over four, Collins was one for three, Jalen was over two, uh, et cetera. So they had some mystery throws for sure that would have bit them in a closer game, but it was not that close, which was fortunate for Atlanta in this spot. And uh, on the whole, they did exactly what they needed to do. Was it the way that I would have projected it to happen as far as how they got to scoring at a pretty good rate against Miami? No, but they made the plays and they really used their physicality and athleticism and force to their advantage in impressive fashion. I did talk about like the one game variance aspects, but you know, Miami being a better shooting team in this game and the Hawks winning by 11 points is pretty stunning to me, to be honest with you. Um, it was just wildly impressive. I, I keep saying that, and I do mean it. We'll, we'll get into sort of the more the game flow aspects of this game in a second. But the Hawks come into this game as five-and-a-half-point road underdogs for a reason. I guess they play tested opponent. And even if you're not a huge Miami believer, and I'm not, all year long I've been a little bit lower on Miami preseason, et cetera. But they're still well-coached. Eric Spolster is great. Jimmy Butler is great. Bam Adebayo is a really good player. Um and even with all that said, you're playing them on the road, and the Hawks played one of the best games of the season, I thought, honestly. They weren't perfect. We'll get into kind of the swoon that happened late first half, early second half to make things make things interesting. But defensively, it was one of their, I don't know, five, six best games of the season. Offensively, probably not quite that good, but certainly above average. And pairing that all together under the bright lights was uh, more than enough to get the win. And uh, we'll leave it there for now as far as my takeaways are concerned. But a fun night at the office. I know Hawks fans are feeling really good right now, as they definitely should be. We'll get into how, kind of how it happened in a second. But first, though, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. It's the coolest game I've ever played really in a long time. Like a lot of people, I grew up really thinking about making moves around the NBA franchises, like if I, if I was in charge. And as it turns out, it's not all that easy, actually, to run an NBA franchise. If you ever had the same thought that I had and pictured actually managing your own basketball franchise, but Ultimate Pro Basketball GM and check it out right now. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and trading players and dealing with personalities with your franchise, making draft picks, generally navigating life throughout free agency, et cetera, and all the fun challenges of a season. This all happens in a very realistic game world, and also Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free and is playable offline. You can play on the go, wherever you want to, how much as you want to, all that fun stuff. And we're already having fun behind the scenes, talking trash to each other in the Locked On NBA group chat. It's been a lot of fun so far and definitely more to come. And you can do that same thing with your friends who are also – diehard basketball fans and if you're listening to this podcast as you are with lots on hawks get a 100 free boost to the franchise when you use the promo code locked on in the game store download the game right now by visiting probasketballgm.com or scan the code to look it up in the app store that is probasketballgm.com when you get there use the promo code locked on ultimate basketball gm start your dynasty today all right we'll dive in now if you're a new listener what we do on this segment of the podcast is go through kind of how it all happened Quarter for quarter, play by plays, my observations and such throughout this contest. And the, and the Heat started small, but Jimmy Butler at the four plus three guards. The Hawks stuck with our usual stars, unsurprisingly, and that led to some size advantages for the Hawks across the board. And I thought it was pretty interesting and notable that Snyder played some different matchups defensively that I would have projected. They ended up starting out with Collins on Jimmy Butler, which actually was pretty effective, um, in part because there was not really anywhere else to put him. They had Hunter guard Max Struess to be more of the health guy in this game. Uh, Trey had Tyler Hero a lot, which for the most part worked until the third quarter. But even then, it was uh, generally effective. And then on the other end of the floor, it was Hero and Hunter, Struess on Collins, Butler on Murray, and then Vincent on Trey Young. The Hawks did miss their first four shots and fell behind a little bit at the outset. But then once Collins made a three, they were off and running. They made seven of their next eight shots after missing their first four. Murray hit two threes, plus the Collins three. And the, in the Heat were 415 from the field. So the Hawks took a solid lead pretty much immediately and never actually lost it all the way through. 
Trey looked much more comfortable in this game than he did in the Miami series last year. I thought that a lot, how much he struggled. And part of that was that there was no other options for the Hawks. I've always said that, even whilst acknowledging that Trey was not good in that series, it was, it was not just because of him. It was because of the way that Miami was playing him and the lack of options elsewhere. But Miami was playing much more conventionally defensively in this game, much more drop coverage. And they're not quite the same team. They can't switch like they did before because they're always playing someone like Hero or Struess or Kevin Love, et cetera, and that limits your options. Rotationally, no big surprises. The only thing that really is notable is that Collins had foul trouble and then sat the rest of the first half because they had it going with Sadiq Bay off the bench. We'll come back to him in a second. Um, but I thought Collins played good, played really well defensively in the first half. Still, Trey had his usual mid, mid-quarter rest. It was Jalen Johnson and the Kongwu that they used their top nine. No Adrian Griffin in this game. I'm not surprised by that. Generally speaking, teams do not play 10 guys in the playoffs, and AJ's kind of been in and out of the rotation in the last few weeks. When everyone's healthy, I think he's obviously the 10th of 10, and that's okay with me. Maybe he'll play against Boston. We'll get to that later on, but I was all right with the way that it all transpired. The match was awesome in this game in general. Jalen Johnson had a pretty Jalen Johnson-like stretch where he had three or four just incredibly impressive flash plays, a nice Euro step, and then also had a really bad turnover in the backcourt. He's still very young and raw, but when, when he is looking good, it looks very, very good off the bench. Um, Trey had a little bit of a dust-up with Jamel McMillan off the bench, which is kind of strange at the end of the first quarter. I'm not sure what that was, whether it was just kind of a normal back and forth, but that got a lot of attention because it was Trey. I understand all that. Uh, but the Hawks were up by, up by nine at the end of the first quarter. They scored the ball very well in the first quarter, 36 points to 20 possessions. Did turn the ball over a bunch, but actually shot the ball extremely well early on. Later in the first half, they ran a great set for a Kongwu to get deep possession on Kyle Lowry for a pretty easy bucket. That was a good design coming out of a break from Quinn Snyder. And really, the Hawks could have been up by even more. They missed some wide-open looks early in the second quarter. Still up by 16 points, though, by the middle of the quarter. They threw some zone at Miami defensively. That was very effective, I thought, um, throughout the early part of the second quarter. The Heat were not not making shots from three either. And if Miami's not making threes with this current alignment, they are kind of drawing dead. You know, Kyle Lowry did catch fire later on. But other than him, like Struess and Hero, I believe, combined to shoot three of 14 Martin was 0 of 2, so that's 3 of 16 combined with those guys. Kevin Love played three minutes, but his only shot. His only shot. So it was uh, basically Lowry or nothing from three-point range. And on offense, I said this earlier a little bit, but I'll just say this again now. The ball was moving beautifully in the first quarter and a half. In fact, the Hawks had 17 assists in the first 17 minutes of the game. For some context, they averaged less than 19 assists per game against Miami in the playoffs last year. They averaged more than that for the season this year. But an assist per minute is an insane ratio. It was always going to slow down, and the Hawks only had one after that the rest of the first half, so it did fall off a cliff. But the ball movement was beautiful in the first quarter and a half. And it helps to make shots, but certainly the ball was whizzing around in pretty impressive fashion. They played with the bench for a long time and with good reason. Uh, myself and Glenn Willis talked about this a little bit on the preview show, but they spread the floor a lot with Bogey and Bay. That was a lot that we wanted to see a lot in this game. And we thought they were going to try to do that, especially if they could hold on defense, and they were able to do that with the zone. And if you can put Bay in one corner and Bogey in the other, it's hard to guard the Hawks in a lot of ways, and that was definitely effective in that stretch. They went by, again, by 24 points with about three minutes to go in the first half. They were holding Jimmy and Bam in check. Clint Capella had back-to-back block shots. Miami had 39 points on 49 possessions, just a wild stretch of defense. But then, of course, Miami sort of rose from the dead a little bit. Lowry had a big run late. It was an 11-0 run by the Heat at the, end of the, at the end of the first half. The Hawks missed seven straight shots. Turnovers, they got impatient. I thought they tried for too many home run balls in that stretch. They kind of didn't, didn't really need to do that. It could have just laid back and been more patient. But all that said, Trey, Trey gets to the line mercifully at the, end of the, at the end of the half to get into the break up by 15 points. But it was a missed opportunity. It probably should have been more like 20-25 at that point in time. Still, though, the Hawks played very well for the most part. Now, in the third quarter is when it actually got dicey. Miami came out of the gate. 
scored their first three possessions, and the lead was down to 11. They finally decided to emphasize the fact that Trey was guarding Hero, and they kind of forced it to Hero pretty efficiently in that stretch. Uh, DeJounte took a pretty bad step back three, and things were wavering. Hunter got his fourth foul. That was a loose ball, and it was a bad decision by him to go for that loose ball. Um, they had a possession where I think he missed three times in a row at the rim. So it was a little bit helter-skelter. They missed Hunter when he was off the floor defensively in that stretch a lot. And uh, overall, it was a 24-6 to run by Miami from when the Hawks were up by 24 when they got it all the way down to six with about eight minutes to go in the third quarter. And I was a little bit uh, wary at that point. The Hawks had blown some leads this year across the board. It got real in a hurry for Atlanta. But as I said before, it got very, very impressive that they were so resilient because number one, it takes a lot of effort to come back from that big of a deficit, but the Hawks were able to stop that run a few different times. Capella had a nice couple of uh, contested the rim defensively. Trey scored five straight points in the third quarter when they kind of really needed that. I thought the had a couple of huge blocks, one on Struess in that, in that stretch um, office rebounding uh, Bay had one Johnson had one, etc. And the Hawks were missing free throws, but they were still up by 13 points because they scored the last six. Uh, Trey drew a foul that was beautiful at the end of the third quarter, and then a great lob from Jalen to Okongwu uh, for a dunk at the very, very end of the third quarter. Uh, early in the fourth was the, uh, I guess, the last stitch run from Miami. After a dunk by Jalen Johnson early in the fourth quarter, Miami a couple threes. Okongwu did have this incredible block on Bam Adebayo that was like a total stonewalling from Aneka, who was really good in this game. But a 13-4 run overall by Miami. Lowry was just still inexplicably red hot for the Heat. And the Hawks scored four points in four minutes. After a timeout, though, Capella had a great offensive rebound and then had a nice pass to Bogdanovich for a dunk that was really badly needed. And then Capella got an offensive rebound on the, on the next possession. Ended up with, with Murray scoring. Um, more, foul tr- more foul trouble for Hunter. But besides that, not a whole lot else. Lowry was still hot. But other than that, like the Hawks were able to sort of wall up on, on them defensively. Um, they had a dunk to go up by 11 with like 3.30 to go. And then uh, Capella had another offensive rebound. Another, yes, another offensive rebound that led to a Murray floater to go up by 11 with about two minutes to go. They got a stop from there. The Hawks were in total control. And for me, like the dagger was when Collins scored to go up by 13. And that was pretty much when everyone could sort of exhale and uh, enjoy the rest of the victory. So lots of flash plays. We'll get into call all the numbers later on uh, between the defensive stuff, the offensive stuff, the bench balance, um, lots of effective performances and really not many guys Really, I would say not really anyone didn't play all that well. I think maybe Hunter's offense would be the only thing that I would point to. It was like kind of disappointing, but everything else played very well in this game. We'll get into all that in a second when it comes to our individual player evaluations. But first, one more break to hear from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. The NBA playoffs are here. It's also baseball season with grand slams, no hitters, and double plays returning to our lives in earnest. And there's no better place to get on the NBA or MLB action than at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you're a new customer, get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 with FanDuel. And it's bonus bets coming back to you if your first bet does not win with FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app right now. It's safe, it's secure, it's super easy to use. But anything you're looking for, including point spreads and totals and money lines and futures, player props, and much more. The Hawks, of course, are now going to the playoffs, opening up on Saturday against Boston. They'll have the whole slate of offerings on the series, on game one, et cetera, at FanDuel. And you can also combine bets together for a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Don't miss the chance to get the no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. We go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. One more time, that is FanDuel.com slash locked on, official sportsman partner of the NBA and MLB. All right, we'll close with the player evaluations in this game and plenty to celebrate for Atlanta. So we'll start with the bench and everyone was good off the bench in this game. It's been a theme for a while. Um, it wasn't quite as stark in this game. That it was just, just the bench driving the success because uh, in the second half, maybe like you know, the last third of the season, the bench has been the stronger unit, 
But in this game, everyone was good, and the bench was certainly part of that. Uh, we'll start with Jalen, who played 14 minutes. I was the lowest of anybody on, on the roster, but had 10 points, three steals, three assists, seven rebounds, five eight from the floor. It was a vintage Jalen Johnson performance in the fact that he made so many flash plays in positive fashion. He also had three turnovers, um, had some mistakes for sure, but you can live with that because he's, he's such an impactful guy when he has it going. Um, he makes these athletic plays at 6'9", 6'10", with so much range. He has he fills the game very well, the passing, the steals, etc. He made a huge impact. It was a small amount of minutes, but he played very well off the bench. Um, Akongwu, same thing. He played excellently. Um, less mistakes than, than Johnson, I would say. But 12 points, four rebounds, four blocks in 20 minutes. Parnaka had three assists, five, six on the floor. Um, you know, everyone is tempted for whatever reason to kind of always pick Capella and Congo against each other. They were both excellent in this game in different ways. For Clint, it was rebounding and rip protection. For Congo, it was just flying around being what he is, which is this highly versatile defensive piece who is also a really great touch on offense. He played excellent basketball in this one. Um, Bogdanovich looked good. Didn't shoot it all that well. Only two of eight from three, but it was three of three on twos. Had two assists, two steals, 14 points. I said this before. I know, I know my friend Andrew Kelly said this during the game as well. Uh, it's worth reminding everyone when Bogey is himself and when Bogey is able to move, more importantly, with his legs and his knees feeling good, he makes a huge difference on this team. The, not only the spacing, that's definitely a huge part of this, but just the secondary creation on offense, being a threat, giving them spacing. He played very well, even without making a ton of shots in this one. And then Sadiq Bay, I thought was awesome, honestly. He didn't shoot well either. He was um, four of eight on twos, three of eight on three, so only 17 points on 17 shots. That isn't great, but a lot of that was off of his own misses. I think he had two or three offensive rebounds that he missed back and forth. But um, he had a block. He did a little He did a little things. Defensively, he played well. You know, Sadiq's defense when he first arrived was really an adventure, and I think he still has some weaknesses defensively. For sure, he falls asleep sometimes off the ball, but he's gotten better. He's been dialed in. He's competitive, and he's physical. That's a big thing about Sadiq Bey is that he does have great like physical stature. He's not the quickest guy or the longest guy, but he definitely does play hard, and that showed up here, made, made a lot of little plays. And then as a, as a force baser, again, putting Bay on one side and Boogie on the other makes a life easier for Trey and DeJounte. Um, to the starters in this one, Hunter had the quietest game on offense, six points on nine shots. He's probably the only guy who I thought like struggled on offense in this game, but a lot was, all that was foul trouble, six rebounds, two assists. But even then, and I'll get this, uh, I'll say this now, my friend Tower Jones, a frequent guest on this podcast, the voice of the Hawks fan in some respects, not the biggest Hunter fan in the world. Even he acknowledged that they missed his defense in this game. When he was in foul trouble, the Hawks were not quite the same team defensively. I thought it was a good move by Snyder, not one that I thought of necessarily, to have Hunter not be primarily on Butler in this game because they were able to use his off-ball stuff, which Glenn's been talking about this a lot recently as well, is very, very solid. And uh, I thought he just did a little things well in this game. Rebounded the ball pretty well, had two assists. He had probably the best pass I've ever seen him throw, honestly, in this game for a nice assist. So uh, he wasn't great, but he didn't play badly either and did the little things effectively. John Collins had foul trouble in the first half, so played less than he usually would, 22 minutes in this one, but 10 points, four rebounds, two assists, played really good defense, um, ended up with four fouls, one of four from three, three of four on twos, um, four rebounds, two assists. Like I thought he was fine, just kind of rock solid. Didn't do anything just r- ridiculously well, but um, just did his job in this one, played good defense, finished around the rim. Had, had two big finishes late. There was one floor when the Hawks, I think, were only up by seven or maybe nine late. It was kind of a pseudo dagger. Nice, a nice uh, important shot from John, but I thought he was just a, a solid B-plus in this one. Uh, we'll, we'll go to Murray now, 18 points, six assists, five rebounds, a couple of four shots, as you're going to want to live with with DeJounte, but a couple of big ones, too. We had one nice uh, kind of like eight-foot 
sort of a pull up, but not really kind of like a, almost a floater range shot late. That was a big shot to kind of put things away for Atlanta and made some good plays. I think defensively was better than he's, than he's usually been this year in this game. Not great necessarily, but still fine and uh, played, played fine enough. Uh, Trey young uh, had one kind of really bad stretch. I thought at one point uh, late in the first half, but other than that played well, 25 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. I want, I will not just say that this is like everything with the, with the Miami struggles is now gone because he wasn't perfect in this one. But he was very effective. His passing is always fantastic. Um, got to the line nine times. He was seven of ten on twos. Still one of eight on threes. He's not shot the ball well for a little while now. It's a little bit of a concern in advance of the Miami series. But I thought that Trey, generally speaking, played well. He competed on defense. And aside from in the third quarter when Hero got him a couple times in a row, he was not a huge liability there either. And uh, made the plays they had to make. And uh, good to see Trey kind of get that monkey off his back, at least for one night against Miami. And then finally, Clint Capella who I thought was awesome. You know, people that listen to this podcast regularly will know I am a pretty big zealot for Capella. I think he's a very good player who is often underrated in the way that he's discussed. I thought he was arguably their best player in this game. I thought he was that good. Um, some people that I trust nationally watching this game had the same feedback, um, just that Clint was like basically terrorizing Miami in this one on defense. And yes, he missed all four free throw attempts. That does matter. He's not a good free throw shooter. We all, we all kind of know that. But And yes, he had four points. And it's possible to dominate a game with four points. And it happened in this game if you watch Capella back. Even more so on, on the replay, Clint's defense was fantastic in this one, plus the rebounding. So four points, yes, 21 rebounds, eight offensive, 13 defensive, had two blocks in 28 minutes. It wasn't like he played, it wasn't like he played 38 minutes. 28 minutes, 21 rebounds, and just walling off the rim all the time, stopping Jimmy at the rim, stopping Bam at the rim, stopping anybody at the rim, really. Just kind of just being that force around the rim. And then obviously rebounding-wise, he is arguably the best rebounder in the entire league, certainly in the top five comfortably, and that was shining in this game offensively and defensively. So I won't go crazy. Uh, he's not Embiid. He's not Jokic. But I said this before, the Hawks have, aside from those teams that have Embiid and Jokic, I would argue the Hawks have arguably the best 48 minutes of center play in the entire league. This is a great example. Akongwu was really good. Clint was really good. They had a really good center on the floor for 48 minutes tonight. That was a huge factor in the Hawks getting this win. So we'll leave it there for now. But again, basically everyone played well. That's uh, obviously not a bad thing. If you're trying to get a road win against a team that is perceived to be better than you are. And we'll leave it there for now. But again, one more time on the way out, the Hawks played great in this game. It was fun to watch. I'm sure it was frustrating for Hawks fans as well, that they are capable of so much more than they've been this year. I've said it a million times, but they have, they have underachieved this year. No question about it. They weren't necessarily banged up with injuries. And for this team to be 41 and 41 is disappointing. But having their best game, maybe not their absolute best game, but certainly in the top five best performances all year long and doing it in the play-in, on the road, national TV and all that, is nice. Uh, it's good to take that take the opportunity to be a little bit happy about that performance. You can be back to, fr- back to frustration later on this week, and we'll, we'll do plenty of previewing of, of the Boston series. But it was a good night for the Hawks overall. Everyone should be fired up about all of that. Um, if you're wondering, I did a little bit of Trey Young talk at the end of the crossover episode that I posted with Wes Goldberg. He asked me about it on Monday afternoon uh, into Tuesday. Um, I'm going to hold off on any of that until now. I have a roundup of that. Um, spoiler alert, my thoughts are that they're not going to trade Trey Young. Uh, that's that's my guess at this point. It's a pretty educated guess, and we'll leave that there for now. Um, from there, we get into the fact that the Hawks will go on the road and play the Celtics in game one on Saturday. We already know it's a 3.30 afternoon game, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on the road in Boston. It's the second game of the playoffs. So the playoffs begin on Saturday with four games. Then they are four games on Sunday as well. 
the Hawks are the second game on the agenda. The first game is Nets Sixers in Philly, and then it's Boston uh, opening up that series game one against the Hawks. So we know that when, 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 when that's going to be. Obviously, it's a big one for the Hawks. Obviously tonight for clear reasons, but only not only guaranteeing a playoff spot, but also getting a few days to prepare. I'll say this now: we'll have plenty more uh, preview content later on this week, probably at least a couple of, couple of shows between now and tip off on Saturday. But one of the sneaky disadvantages of being in the last playing game where the Hawks were last year when they had to win twice to get out is that you're on short rest. If the Hawks had lost today, they'd be playing on Friday night in Atlanta and they'd have to go to Milwaukee for Sunday. That's a quick turnaround when you when you just play two games with high stakes. Now you get Wednesday off, Thursday off, Friday off. That's nice. Yes, you have to go to Boston. Obviously, they're going to be more well-rested than you, but honestly, it might even be a small advantage because – Boston hasn't played a game that mattered in a while. They played Sunday, yes, against the Hawks, a game that was totally meaningless to everybody. So they haven't played a competitive game in a week when you get there. So anyway, the Hawks will be underdogs in the series. I'm not going to lie to anybody on the podcast about that. No one's going to pick the Hawks. No one is going to pick the Hawks in the series. And we'll preview that later on. But I think the Hawks are certainly capable of more than they've been this year. When they play well, as we saw tonight, they're difficult to beat. And uh, can they be competitive in the series? I think absolutely. So we'll get into all that more later on this week. But that, that's sort of your appetizer for now on a, on a great night for the Hawks. And uh, Saturday awaits as the Hawks are guaranteed now at least two more home games as well. So if you were an Atlanta resident, you wanted to go ahead and get, uh, get, get some ticket stuff fired up. Game three, game four are happening in the near future as well. Um, if you are looking for playoff scheduling and things, uh, I will just wrap that up at the end of the podcast here um, because I believe I have it. I'm looking for it now as I'm live on the podcast. Probably a bad idea to go ahead and do that. But, um, you know, scheduling is tough this time of year. It's one of those things. Oh, by the way, our friends at FanDuel, I should say this now because they, they actually have a number on this. The Hawks are going to be, uh, at, least, at least right now, eight-point underdogs in game one. So that's pretty notable. Bigger, bigger spread than it is tonight. Uh, we've not seen the schedule yet so far for the rest of the, for the, rest of the series. So my apologies on that. But we do, we do know this. Saturday, 3.30, ESPN, tune in. And we'll have much more later on this week. So please subscribe to this podcast. If you are a new listener, welcome aboard. We do appreciate you joining the show. Don't go anywhere. And by the way, once the season ends, I'm still going to be here. Off-season-wise, uh, transactions, draft stuff, free agency, all of that, player evaluations, etc. We'll be here for all that stuff as well. So please subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, also on YouTube, Google Play, etc. Ratings, reviews, likes, all that. Follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Also follow my written work on the Hawks, patreon.com slash BT Roland as well. I do appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. I'm sure I've ranted and raved and gone long on this Tuesday, but stay tuned with more to come and we'll see you all later on in the week.